everyone, and welcome to episode 51 of Hidden Wings and Bloodlust, a podcast about ladybirds and ladybugs around the world. I'm your host, Rachel, and my podcast recommendation for this week is Crime Most French. It's a true crime podcast set on French soil, and I'll just play a promo for that quickly, and do check it out. Are you looking for rarely covered true crime cases with a certain je ne sais quoi? Well, why not check out Crime Most French, a fortnightly podcast researched and narrated by Frenchman Cedric and discussed with his wife, me, Melanie. We've covered such cases as the theft of the Mona Lisa, the real-life story of Guiana prison inmate Papillon, and a presidential assassination. Don't lose your head searching for Crime Most French. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Crime Most French, as sharp as Madame Guillotine. Welcome back. So today, I'm interviewing Richard Dowling, who is a wildlife photographer and campaigner. So hello, Richard. How are you? Oh, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Sorry, it's taken a while to pin me down, but uh, we've, we've got here eventually. <laughs> Don't worry about it. This is fine. So have you seen any ladybirds recently? I've asked that question to everyone. Yeah, um, I think the first one I've seen would be harlequins, which obviously yeah. isn't a good thing um, being a, an Asian invasive. But um, something I, I noticed about them watching them is just how ferocious predators they are. Um, I, you know, I, was, I was watching them at my, my nan's cemetery and there was uh, lots of aphids all over the flowers. And then watching these harlequins just hoover them up is, is incredible. Um, another one I've seen, I think for the first time this year, I've, I can't say I've noticed it before, is the the pine ladybird. So, oh yeah, uh, yeah, you know, small small oh, black ladybird nice. with a, yeah. a, a like a, a nice red comma sort of uh, pattern on it. Um, so that was that was a new one for me. Um, but I think my my favourite that I've seen lately, I think, is the the sixteen spot. So. Um, tiny little yellow ladybird that I, I noticed on on daisies um so yeah daisies is a pretty small flower that you can go unnoticed a lot of the time and yeah I just uh I, I was going out with you know trying to notice the small things and photograph some really small things that you wouldn't usually pick up on and yeah I noticed this tiny little yellow ladybird on a tiny daisy and yeah you, you when you zoom in on it a bit it's it's quite quite an attractive little insect yeah I think they're they're very um like I mean, I know that they sometimes go for dandelions, and especially especially sort of longer grass as well, don't they? How about you? Have you you've seen anything? Um, I haven't seen anything interesting in a while. Um, I saw um, I went to Romania recently on holiday, and I saw um, oh, a ladybird called um that we don't actually find in the UK called Oenopia conglobata, and I think it's like the the poplar pink ladybird or something like that. And it's um and it's pink and it's got I think around like sort of fourteen spots or something and they joined and it's really quite uh quite beautiful um but I mean apart from that I mean I saw a seven spot yesterday all the ladybirds I've seen recently have basically just been seven spots since I got back yeah I mean we've we've got some uh, some new uh, luckily my town have started doing some no mo areas and i i've noticed that there there's definitely lots of seven spots around the no mo areas which we wouldn't have had before so i think it just it just shows it does work so leave those bits to grow and yeah it's a positive thing so definitely um 
So, um, Richard, you've become quite well known on Twitter for campaigning against plastic grass. Mm. Um, would you mind telling me how you got into campaigning um, about it? Yeah, so I'm, I'm initially, I'd say I'm just a, an amateur naturalist. I, you know, I, I mm. try and learn what I can, and I'm a wildlife photographer too. Um, you could you, you could say amateur wildlife photographer as well, but um, yeah. you know, I, I work in the environmental sector and I'm studying the environment. So it's, I think it's all um, my daily life is very much environment based, and I think with that became I what it was I I started to to learn about the the life cycles of bumblebees um reading um reading books by professor Dave Gawson um so a sting in the tail is one of those books and so I I'd recommend Dave Gawson's books to anyone they're fantastic so yeah, as I yeah. as I started to learn about the the life cycles of bumblebees it meant that when I went out for a walk and I looked at people's gardens I started to notice where the good habitats are where the poor habitats are and you know I, I just got more and more interested in in bees specifically but it I think it's it just it's a wider issue as well it's not just bees that gardens are good for it's everything but um so I think that learning about bees like coming out of hibernation in winter and then needing dandelions for example um it made me realize that mowing too often is a bad thing so I started off by really trying to educate and and raise awareness about mowing um, so it started off as as you know regular lawns and trying to get my lo- people in my local town to try to to do better with their with their lawns um, and I think especially as we got into to lockdown um, I was going out for my walks and noticing that each day if every time I went out another garden was gone um, so mm, one mm. day there were birds and bees and lavender and butterflies and and then the next day everything's mm. ripped out and it's a plastic carpet and every when, when you go out every day and notice that sort of habitat mm, loss mm. staring you in the face every day I thought I thought well I can't really see anyone else kicking up a fuss about this mm, it, to mm. me it's a massive issue so I I thought what can I do within my skill set of mm. um you know whether it be my photography or anything like that what can I do to try and change this so I started off with a um I creating a sort of poster with photography and facts about why astroturf is a bad thing um yeah, and that got shared yeah. around quite well on online and um and then I people still obviously the trend was continuing so I thought well yeah. petition petitions let's let's try and get some government action on yeah. it yeah yeah, so absolutely. I started off with a petition to to ban um, plastic grass, and I got the you know more than twelve thousand signatures, and it went to government, and they they declined it. They basically said no, we'd, mm. we'd rather let people make their own choices, and we don't we don't believe that this should be banned. So okay, fine. So I came away, and I thought, well, okay, what else can I do? So I thought planning permission. I could try and make sure that people, if they want to cover their garden in plastic, that they need to get planning permission to do so, and they need to have a valid reason to do it. They can't just do it willy-nilly it has to be for a, a, re, a you know a reason so again that petition got more than ten thousand signatures um and again government said no no thank you very much but but no um so then my most recent one which is still open um, as we speak so people can sign it if they wish um is to tax it so i thought you know how can we how can we get the conservative government to to show some interest i thought they like taxes so let's let's tax it um and uh, you know, again, we've gone over thirteen thousand signatures. Um, but again, the initial the initial response is that no, we're not going to take that on board. But the the petition still is open. So what I'm trying for now is to get a hundred thousand signatures, um, and then perhaps it will change their mind on it. So yeah, that's that's where we are. Yeah, I know what you mean about how every time 
because I mean, when I was walking in lockdown, there was some. I mean, this wasn't actually plastic grass. He like they there was like a bit of lavender that the bees and like seven spots and that used to really like where I used to live. And then like one day it was gone and it was just like a like a tarmac like strip that like someone just put their car yeah. over. And mm. so I mean, I, like I wasn't really aware of the whole issue with plastic grass, but um, yeah. Um, I know what you mean. It is quite depressing, especially when you're going for walks, especially because in, in lockdown, there wasn't really a lot else to do. So you just kind of notice these things a lot more. Yeah. And I, I just got to know my area better. And yeah, you, yeah, you get a bit attached to it when you, when it's all, yeah. it's all we had, yeah. wasn't it for a, for a while. Yeah. So yeah, it was. That, yeah. So, but yeah, you're not alone in terms of not knowing the issues with plastic grass. Yeah. That's uh, yeah, it's, it's quite common and that's, that's fine. Um, but it's, yeah. No, I was just saying, I think awareness is, is building. So, but yeah, carry on. Yeah. Would you like to explain what are the problems of plastic grass? Um, so I think first and foremost for me, it's, it's habitat loss primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're taking away a living surface. Um, so soils and plants, they're the basis of life on earth um, and they're the bottom of the food chain. So if you lose plants, you're losing your insects. Um, and if you lose your insects, that affects your your bats and your birds. Um, you're losing your, your worms and your slugs and that, that affects hedgehogs you know, all the way up to badgers. It's you know your whole local ecosystem can come crashing down like a deck of cards because basically plastic doesn't feed anything it doesn't house anything it doesn't shelter anything um if you're coming away from the sort of the wildlife impacts there's there's drainage now the the companies the companies that sell this stuff they like to tell you that artificial lawns are they're great for drainage but when you cover your soils with plastic you're blocking organic matter being taken down um which is something that holds on to moisture and organic matter feeds your, your worms and your worms keep the soils healthy so you're reducing your natural drainage by interfering with that organic matter and 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 the the life that's within the soil, and you know a lot of the time as well they're actually removing the topsoil completely from the garden and they're laying drainage layers, whether it be you know, stone or granite dust, um, underneath the carpet, um, and what that's causing is is just rapid runoff of, of rainwater because you don't have any water retention, so that the soils are like a sponge; they hold on to water and let it go slowly. So when you take take that away, you've got all that water rushing into your surface. Yeah, it goes straight into your surface water drains, into your rivers, and it rushes downstream. And you're probably in in extreme weather events, you're going to be flooding towns that are low lying. Um, and as climate change becomes a bigger problem we're going to get more extreme weather events and that's more water rushing quickly downstream. Um, what we need to be doing is holding onto it in our gardens, within our soils and, and plants. Well, I think, I think especially at the moment when there's a drought, like, I mean, it hasn't rained for like, it hasn't actually rained properly here for about like over two months, I think. Mm. So that means that when it does rain, if if the rain is too heavy, it's it the water's going to have like nowhere to go. So of course it's going to like cause a flood. Yeah, yeah. So you, you get all the rain in one go, and it's got, it's all going to rush downstream. So we just need that soils or a sponge that holds on to water for for a good reason. And you know we're taking that away. So um, other than that, you've got the the emissions side of it. So people are told that having artificial grass saves you water, it saves you pesticides, and it saves on herbicides, and it saves on energy from mowing. But in in reality, plastic grass uses large amounts of water at, at manufacture, 
um, within a short space of time, a lot of the time, they've got weeds popping out of them. So then people start spraying them with herbicides. Um, you've got all that energy from the manufacture of it and the shipping of it. So it's made in China and it's it's quite a heavy product. So it's made in China and it's shipped all the way across the world to the UK. So yeah, that's you've so people say it saves saves energy on mowing, but you've you've just shipped a carpet from one side of the world to another. Like that is a lot of energy. So I, I you know using using saving on mowing as a as a sales pitch is it really holds no weight as far as, as I'm yeah. concerned. Um, yeah. yeah, but you know, really, with a with a real lawn, we don't need to water it. We don't need to spray it. We don't need to regularly mow it. We just, I think, we need to change our attitude about what yeah. a lawn, what a lawn is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, because there's a lot of there's these days you can get a lot of like plants that grow naturally close to the ground and are quite quite good with sort of retaining water in a drought and don't need to and don't grow ridiculously tall so if you want to have them if you want to sit on that then that's fine and it would like do the the job of grass i suppose in a way yeah there there are other options which i Mm. yeah i think we can we can come to yeah yeah Yeah. so what actually makes this um plastic grass worse than like for example just like tarmacking your driveway or putting like paving slabs down like is it just because it's plastic or is there other other reasons as well or that that is a that's a very common comeback um mm. that people say oh well well if you don't let people lay plastic grass they're just going to lay concrete yeah um yeah. i'd start by saying yeah concrete and paving is bad it's lifeless mm. it's mm. carbon intensive but i think plastic is worse and mm. i think the reason for that is people don't tend to cover their entire garden in concrete um it does no. happen it does happen but people don't People don't do it regularly, whereas I think this plastic grass has now given people an outlet to to cover yeah. their garden completely yeah. in a lifeless a lifeless surface, mm. and that's different, I think. So, so why is plastic worse than than concrete? For me, it's because it breaks down over its short lifespan into yeah. microplastic particles, and yeah. that's that's getting into our soils, our drains, and then the rivers, and then the sea. So. Um, I mean, I, I'm doing an environmental science degree at the moment, and um, I did a I did a small study um, of scientific literature last year for a product uh, project, mm. sorry, looking at um, how microplastics um, are impacting our oceans, specifically mm. with UK shark species. So what I did was look up any studies of UK sharks and. What, the, what all those studies found that I read, each and every shark that they surveyed across all of the species, all of them had plastic in their in their stomachs. So, you know, and there's there's also recently been a, a news story to suggest that 80% of people have got microplastics in their blood. So I think we need to be really careful about what we use plastic for because it's it's certainly breaking down. It's getting into our environment and then from our environment, it's getting into us. Um, so... Yeah, I, I think I think we need to be really careful. <laughs> yeah, there was a horrible story I read a couple of days ago about a turtle that they found in this, like I think a sea turtle, and they found that it had just eaten plastic. And when they rescued it, they found that it was just pooing plastic. I just mm. thought that was really sad. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that's yeah. litter. You know, I I think I you know I know the response to what I've just said would be that yeah, there's there's litter in the oceans, and that's what's causing all mm. the microplastics. But plastic is plastic, and whether it's mm. a coke, whether it's a Coca Cola bottle or a or a or a piece of plastic grass, they're both going to shed yeah. microplastics. So my point and they is, they both end up in 
places where they shouldn't end up. Exactly. So, so, so my point is yeah. we need to only use plastic when it's unavoidable. Mm. And I don't yeah. think covering our gardens in it is an unavoidable um, use. So, yeah. So why do you think the amount of plastic grass is increasing in the UK? Yeah, I, I think it's because the artificial lawn companies, they've marketed themselves really, really well mm. and, and and very dishonestly, I would argue. So mm. what mm. they're what they're doing is they're selling this Instagram image of zero mm. maintenance, easily draining, eco-friendly, usable year-round, you know, greenwash. And it's and it's persuading people. Um, so what one company is is telling people that their plastic lawn absorbs more pollution than several fully grown trees. Now, that is absolute rubbish. It's yeah, it's a it's a new coating that they've covered it with, and they they claim that it absorbs pollution. And you know, from what I can see, it's it's a very limited time scale. And what they don't tell you is what trees or real grass would do under the same time scale. So it's just again, it's greenwash. It's look how eco friendly we are, and you know, I I don't I don't believe in it whatsoever. Um, yeah, but I think I, I think we do have a need to be neat and tidy. Um, I think the the, the, the Victorians um, instilled a need in us to be neat and tidy and ordered in our homes and our gardens. So there is still this sort of old-fashioned view of um, gardens need to be pristine and manicured, and and that's a very common common view. But you know, nature is beautiful. It's not always straight lines and tidy. Um, but I, so I, like I say, I think it's a, it's an attitude change that might be needed to a certain extent. Yeah. So, I mean, like sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll read that um, oil bloke people will say that, that plastic, that there are times in which like plastic grass can be useful. Like, for example, if someone, if someone is disabled and they're not mobile enough to look out, if they're not mobile enough to look after a lawn um, and like, you know, all this sort of, the, um, like, you know, there are, there are, there are issues that mean that they can't like look after grass or like plant things or and I know that on your Twitter account, you've talked about the maintenance of these plastic grass lawns that take a huge amount of energy and time. But if someone is not able to look after like any kind of lawn, whether it's like real or plastic, like what what alternatives would you suggest to them? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd start by saying when when I when I had my petition for say planning permission. Yeah. When yeah. I say. Um, you'll only get planning permission when there's a genuine need. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. People with disabilities or re- or valid reasons like that were that was one of my things that I would say is a valid reason to have it. But yeah, when it comes to the the hard work of of having a plastic lawn, you know, people with them they're they're sweeping them, they're brushing them, they're hoovering them, they're spraying them, they're deodorizing because they, they smell like dog piss if you have dogs. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. they're far from low maintenance um, and there are other options. Mm. So, you know, if, if you've got kids and they're, they're ripping up your lawn and it's patchy mm. or poorly draining, it may just mean that you need to fix your soils. So yeah. healthier soils yeah. will have healthier grass and will be more resilient. So yeah, what I'd say is pay someone who knows how to garden instead mm. of paying someone mm. who knows how to lay a carpet. And it, yeah. if you're disabled and you need wheelchair access, um, mm. I've, I've seen some fantastic examples like um, mm. Lawn Protector, which is a, it's a grid that you lay down oh, over your, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you lay it down over your topsoils and then you spread soil and seed. And yeah. once you let the grass grow in, you would, I mean, if it grows right, you wouldn't even know it's there, but what it does yeah. allow is it's a rigid grass surface that allows you to mm. wheel a wheelchair over it. So I've seen that used on gardening shows and, and I would say, 
say for people with with disabilities that you know it's probably far better to have that you know mm-hmm. yes it's a plastic grid but it's it's less plastic than a plastic lawn and yeah. it still allows you to yeah. have that natural natural sort of surface so absolutely um, yeah you know and if you yeah. don't have a lawn at all that's fine you could mm. have um you know winding pathways through with raised beds and you could have the raised beds at a wheelchair level and yeah. you could you could have them you know set up so that you can wheel yourself around the garden but still have full you know access to the ways beds for maintenance yeah. or pick, picking your fruit or whatever it might be so yeah the, I, I just don't think covering mm. the garden in plastic is is the answer there are alternatives so. so do you think you're talking about this um like this need that uh, like the victorians had i suppose like a lot of a lot of us do now like an obsession about tidy lawns like do you think that's one of the reasons why this has become such a popular thing i do yeah i, I think mm. it's it's a very british thing to want this sort of spotless lawn and and unfortunately i mm. think plastic has allowed people to to have a a very short green service that always looks yeah. the same yeah. so yeah. yeah and there's something i notice as well there's there's definitely a keeping up with the jones effect mm. of it um so there were roads in my area that started off with perhaps one artificial lawn mm-hmm. um, and then one by one, all of the neighbours do the same mm-hmm. because they, mm-hmm. they look out once, you know, once their lavender's died off in the in the summer or whatever and mm-hmm. it goes brown, mm-hmm. they they look out their window and they see their neighbour's garden with a plastic lawn and then they look at their lavender and think, oh, mine looks untidy now. And you find that just one by one, everyone does the same thing. But I I think, you know, like you've touched on, I, I don't think the, the negatives of, of artificial lawns is something that people have really um heard or noticed yet and I, I i would hope that yeah those things start to become more widely spoken about really yeah so it's been suggested that um like whether like these kind of lawns obviously definitely plastic ones but also like the real the like sort of manicured ones that Even are like real lawns, yeah. l- lush yeah. and lush and green and like wasting loads of water where like everything around it is brown like especially mm-hmm. on like some golf courses and stuff um like that they need to be sort of discarded to to tackle climate change and like replaced with other kinds of plants um yeah like maybe so- ones that withstand drought like would you agree with that or yeah well but so the, the view that you should get rid of lawns entirely um mm, mm. i would strongly disagree I, I, okay. I think i think this idea that you're you're referring to of getting rid of lawns entirely is an american mm. one um yeah, so, yeah so in in places like california and arizona where it's arid and lawns require watering people see it as an eco-friendly move to get rid of them entirely and and actually they probably do have a point um what those what in my view what those people should probably try and do is to have a native garden that's fitting with the local environment so you can't you can't you cannot expect to have a perfect bright green lawn in the mm. middle of Arizona it's you live in a desert you you probably need to have a desert you know <laughs> like cactus and ex- yeah. yeah I mean I mean you laugh but that's yeah but if that's what your local local ecology is that's yeah. probably what you should try and, and I, emulate I so, agree with that yeah. Yeah, yeah um in Britain I think native wildflower lawns have their place for sure mm, and absolutely. I think it's it's habitat for so many species so whilst having a garden with no lawn and all flowers might still be good for some species, I think we still need this patchwork of varied grass habitat so that all of our wildlife can flourish. And, you know, for example, starlings like a short lawn and they'll feed on that, whilst common blue butterflies, for example, like longer grassed areas or, or ladybirds, lots of them like longer grassed areas so that they can go through their full life cycle. So I just think we need this patchwork patchwork of habitat sort of approach. Yeah, because I think like... 
like having short grass in itself isn't actually necessarily like a bad thing it's just when it's just when it's when it's all short because like yeah. there yeah. are certain animals that specialize on like for example robins like love when the the grass is mowed because they can that makes it easier for them to like go and get worms and stuff like that mm. yeah so yeah i, I just think i if you were to find the perfect lawn, I you know I yeah. I, I love a meadow lawn, but mm. you you can make it look like you've done it on purpose. A lot of people worry that their meadow or a longer lawn mm. is going to look look untidy, and your neighbours will think yeah. you're you know you're lazy or something. But perhaps if you if you if you let it grow, but then you mow a winding path through it, you mm. can make it mm. look you can make it look really attractive, but make it look like you've done it on purpose. And I think that's yeah. the important part yeah. of it, isn't it? I think also the um the sort of idea of like concentric circles is one i quite like so you have like the the maybe like a path through it that you mow like once a week or something like that and mm-hmm. then like another one that you mow like once every two weeks and then another one like you know exactly like, yeah 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 and, quite... and you and you when once you have that varied habitat you'll just you'll have so much more biodiversity in your garden than you would yeah i mean short lawns short real lawns aren't good either um it, when you when when that's all you have so so yeah i mean it, it i think it's you can see you can see how i've gone on this journey from talking about real lawns to talking about plastic lawns now can't you because it's yeah n- none of them none of them are good but you 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 can have a good lawn if you if you let it i think is the is the point yeah so tell me about because i mean i've seen some quite shocking like photos of of um plastic lawns getting to very high temperatures mm. and like even like melting and i think there was recently a fire that they think started on a on a plastic lawn i think in america um would you like to say a bit about the the heat problems that are caused by yeah, by the I, I, I didn't hear about the fire starting on it actually, so it's up been interesting to, to to read that. But I think you know, I think the the image you're referring to um, with temperatures I think shows it's the one that shows real grass in the shade and in the sun um, compared with artificial grass in the shade and in the sun. So in that example, it showed I think it was was real grass in the shade was 27 degrees, um, mm-hmm. real grass in the sun was 38 degrees. But mm. artificial grass in the shade was thirty-four degrees, and then artificial grass in the sun was sixty-two. So it's you know it's almost double, um, and it's it's not just that one image either. You know, I, I've seen homeowners who have tried it themselves, and they've come up with the same you know double the temperature um, mm. sort of mm. result. And you know, I, I I a local sporting event had to cancel all of their their events on mm. on three G mm. pitches recently in the last couple of weeks because the temperature was so high they couldn't risk giving their players heat stroke. So there is there is an ambient temperature <sighs> difference. So it's not just it's hot to stand on for for pets and that's that's become quite a widely known point. But it's yeah, also the, yeah. the, amb- the ambient temperature around your home um, would also be yeah. unsuitable for you know you might you might lose lots of your your wildlife that isn't isn't able to withstand those sorts of you know doubled temperatures. So yeah, it's um it's definitely a consideration that that isn't really you know that's not something you hear in the sales pitches is it <laughs> no no there's also things like sort of heat islands and stuff that I've, I've seen like the the things of like a road lined with trees is much cooler than a road that's like got no trees in it or like yeah so so you yeah. can see the point here what you what you need in your garden is plants because plants keep your area mm. cool and keep your home cool yeah. in the summer and you know, and yeah. So it's yeah, stripping your garden completely of any vegetation is you're just you're creating a desert. You know, not only mm. you know in in ecological terms, but in you know almost in temperature terms as well. It seems. Yeah. So, yeah. When I um 
before I moved like to where I am now, I did look around a house. It didn't have a plastic lawn, but like it didn't have a lawn, like all of it was just concrete. And it's just, like that's just like it's so unsuitable, especially especially if you've got kids and they like fall over onto a onto a hard service or or yeah I, just, I think yeah. if i moved into a house like that that the the concrete would come straight out it's <laughs> yeah exactly so something i've read about recently um you know we t- we've touched on it um in parts of california and sort of areas of america where there's been droughts and stuff um for a long time um homeowners are now being given financial incentives to replace their lawns with another type of surface including plastic lawns but doesn't have to be because of like the the issues of well like water use and uh like the risk of fires with the the grass that's like not supposed to be there but i mean the problem is though that plastic lawns also require a lot of watering don't they mm. yeah so so people are using water to to wash mm. down their artificial lawns and it's you know it's, yeah. You, yeah. you save water because you're not watering your lawn anymore but you know i recently mm. saw a homeowner that admitting to leaving in the height of our of our drought here in in britain when when all of the water companies were saying please only use water for absolutely essential purposes there were mm. people who were admitting to leaving their sprinklers on because their lawn smelt of dogweed their their plastic lawn smelt of dogweed so yeah so it, i don't think plastic grass is the answer to saving water but no in, in no. california as a, as i mentioned earlier on um i just think you need to aim to create a garden that's in harmony with the local landscape and mm-hmm. i wouldn't like mm-hmm. to recommend to californian listeners what plants to go for because you know i'm not a gardener and i'm also not in america yeah. but um yeah. but i have seen yeah. some fantastic gardeners who do pick native plants and create stunning floral gardens um and they're resistant yeah. to the weather in california because they, they belong in that area um in britain um i would recommend not mowing so regularly so that you start to see plants like birds for trefoil popping up and, and that's great for bees and it's also really drought tolerant um other plants like dandelions red clover and self-heal um, they'll come up throughout the year um if you let it grow so um, you, know, you, you may wish to plant plug plants like there's yellow rattle, which is a it's, mm. it's sort of nicknamed the the meadow maker because it's hemiparasitic mm. to to grass, so it sort of steals the nutrients from grass and helps the flowers to take take hold and and, and stops the grasses getting too too dominant. Um, so once you have that sort of diversity of plants and and grass lengths, um, you'll find that your garden is is full of life and doesn't need much maintenance other than, you know, it cuts down on the maintenance. And um, other than doing a, a cut and rake maybe once or twice a year, that's that's all it takes. Um, yeah. In terms of other, you know, you, you, you can have lawns that are completely clover um, and that's known to stay green and hard wearing um, even when it's really dry. Um, so it's, you know, and, and, it, and it also provides lots of nectar for your pollinators too. So yeah, um, yeah. I don't think it's as simple as saying, um, yeah, put plastic down because it saves water and it stops fires and things. It's yeah, it doesn't necessarily. Yeah, because oh, like at the weekend I went on a butterfly conservation, like a, a a walk that was organised by Butterfly Conservation, and oh, they fantastic. and there was a um, bit of plant there that I've actually heard about before, and it was I think it's like um, the whole thing was like a chalk grassland, so it obviously wasn't really like moan or anything very much but there's like a lot of plants um that just grow like bed straw and stuff that Mm. just naturally grow near the ground and there's like another like 
ground bindweed i think it's called like it just then they just naturally grow near the ground like a, like a carpet and stuff so they're yeah so you you find as the as the soil nutrients what what you're what you're trying to do with a ideally if, if you want a lawn that's good for wildlife is to to lower the nutrients in the soil because if, yeah. if your if your soils are full of nutrients it means the grasses are dominant whereas as you start to take those grass clippings away from year yeah. to year as the soil nutrients drop down that's when you end up with all these you know these this diverse array of of plants and wildflowers that are good for our yeah like you say butterflies so yeah so um one of the problems with a plastic grass is it usually can't be recycled and if somebody moves into a house with a plastic lawn and wants to get rid of it um how is there a is there a safe way to dispose of it um are, are there any types that actually can be recycled or like what what should they do yeah I, personally i'm yet to see any solid proof that any meaningful amount of artificial grass is, is actually recycled mm. um mm. what i have seen is is local civic amenity sites so that's your your local council tip saying that they can't recycle it and it goes over there in landfill or incineration mm, because mm. there's only one place in Europe that can recycle it and it's not feasible. So, you know, I've seen people being told to just stick it in the skip over there because we can't do anything else with it. Um, I've had people tagging me in photos of, of AstroTurf being fly-tipped, um, which suggests to me that it's not easily recycled or it, and it doesn't hold much value um, at, its, at the end of its life. So you know, I've seen farmers using it on farm tracks. Um, yeah, yeah. There used to be a, a waste exemption for using carpet on farm tracks mm, um, mm. as a, as a, you know, a, a covering for the for the track um and logically artificial grass is a carpet so it's you know people have used it for that um i i have seen there is a machine in britain um that's capable of shredding artificial grass into all of its separate um mm. components mm. um but again, I couldn't find any evidence of large-scale recycling or information to show what volumes that they can mm, process mm. or what percentage of that material is actually recycled and repurposed. So, um, but even if you can't recycle it, I think the time to give your garden back to nature um, and get birds and bees back in was was yesterday. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think just call a reputable skip company um, and get it taken away. And if, if they can get it recycled, fantastic. And and if you find out it has been recycled, I would love to know where um, because I, I would love to know more because at, at this point in time, I'm, I'm yet to see any solid proof that mm. you know, anything worth celebrating is being recycled. So... And could it ever be used for something else? Like, could you ever have it indoors, for instance? Or Yeah, well, I think I'm uncomfortable with recommending reuse generally because of all the microplastic concerns. But if you can cover your old cold garage floor in it or, you know, or you can give it to someone, you know, if you can give it to someone that's got a balcony and you would never have a lawn on a balcony, would you? So no. if you can give it to someone like a balcony, but what I wouldn't like to see is giving it to other people who are then going to go and rip up a, you know, an, an actual, an actual living garden and, and lay it down because then you've, you've doubled yeah. the impact then. Haven't yeah. You? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you, if you can find a reuse, why not? I, I do worry about the, the, the microplastic shedding, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. Reuse is better than keeping it in place. I think. Um, as long yeah. as it's, the reuse is appropriate again like if somebody has a has a plastic lawn but then they want to remove it like what how what should be the first thing they do once they've removed it like 
Yeah. So when it comes out, um, what you might have to do is remove mm. the those those drainage layers I mentioned earlier mm. on. Is yeah, you'd have to you'd have to take those out, and and you, you, what you might have to do is put new topsoil back mm. in. Um, so 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 yeah. I mean, I think you, if you want to have plants and grass in your garden, you're going to need soil, and, yeah. and a lot of the time that's taken away. So mm. yeah, it's replacing that. Um, if you're moving, if you if you're looking to buy a new house, what I, and and you go and view one that has uh, a plastic lawn, I would say tell the seller that you want the money taken off the house price to account for the, the removal, the removal of the lawn. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. Why 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 should the person that moves in swallow the cost? You know, <laughs> exactly. essentially, yeah. A, a, a plastic carpet is a bit like you wouldn't leave your house and leave a wardrobe behind. Uh, a wardrobe is an item, you know. So yeah, yeah. I think you know, a plastic carpet is an item. So I think if you move into a house, tell the seller to take it with them, or, or, or pay to have your garden put back to a wildlife-friendly state. I think it's yeah, um, yeah. I think that's that's reasonable because you you can ask um, when you're buying a house or or whatever. Like you can they, there's usually like a clause that says you can ask the the seller to pay for like essential repairs and, and and things like that so yeah if you're if you're in a rental property it's you're a bit hamstrung i mean some sometimes you have absolutely no say about what goes on in the garden and if, if you have a landlord that has an artificial lawn um i i think all you can do is ask all you can do is ask that it's removed and have a a, a natural garden put in um chances are i suppose the answer is going to be no so what you could do um, in that case, really, I think your only option is to go for lots of plant pots and containers. And what you can do to try and give some benefit to wildlife um, within the constraints of only having pots and containers is to try and go for, firstly, varied flower shapes. So you'll find that um, different pollinators can feed on different flowers, but sometimes, like for example, with bees, um, not all bumblebees can feed on the same flowers. You'll have some bees that have long tongues, so they can they can reach into those deep, um, deep flowers and take nectar. But then you have some bees that have short tongues and they can't they can't reach those sort of long bell shaped flowers like, say, a foxglove. So what they need is um, is smaller flower shapes so they can reach the nectar. So if you try and go for different flower shapes, you'll ensure that different species of, of insect or bee or butterfly or whatever it might be. Um, can feed on that plant the other thing you can do to try and make sure that your your garden has has wildlife benefit throughout the year is to try and ensure that you have plants that are in flower um, providing pollen and nectar throughout the whole um, throughout the whole year for all of the seasons so what you can do to try and achieve that is to to go to the garden center um, each month maybe every two months and each time you go try and look out for the things that are feeding feeding insects whilst you're walking around the garden center and buy that plant each time so after a year of doing that you'll have built up a collection of plants that feed our wildlife at different times of the year um, so that's really something that you can do just to try and maximize the wildlife benefit within the constraints of of having an artificial lawn that perhaps you have no control over Something I, I notice when I walk around looking at people's gardens is we we tend to really lack um, forage for our insects in the early spring, especially, and also during the winter. So what you might want to look out for also, um, you know, in the for, for the early spring, if you want to cover that sort of time of year, if you look for things like snowdrops and crocus, they are 
bulb flowers that you can put into your plant pots and they'll come up they're one of the earliest things to pop up in the spring before anything else has come up and they're one thing that our bumblebee queens as they come out of winter hibernation can really rely on so if you try and have something there for them um in that way during during early spring that'll be really good for them and help them survive to then generate that nest for the entire for the entire coming year um through to winter as well winter's a really hard time for our wildlife to to find forage and um, you'll get the occasional bee that comes out of hibernation um to to try and feed or or top up so yeah, things like mahonia um is a good one that's we don't have many plants that flower during the winter but mahonia is is it's like a spiky green plant but you have those yellow flowers on it um so you you might notice those during the winter and they're, they're another good one for sort of winter forage so have any countries banned plastic grass yet that I know of, no. And again, again, I'd love to know if there are, but um, I don't know. If you, if you want some good sort of uh, news on on this front, um, Newcastle Council recently yeah. vowed mm. to 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 stop using artificial grass in all of their permanent landscaping, which which is a start. Um, I mean, that still means that homeowners in Newcastle can lay it, and, and yeah. I guess it still means that Newcastle Council can lay it mm. for temporary reasons in inverted commas. Um, but yeah. it's it's a start. It's I think it's the first sort of restriction that we've seen any public body. So it's in public spaces. Yeah. So so, so yeah. So whereas um, you know I think on occasions they've used it on roundabouts and mm. there was a big public mm. outcry. I think a you know I think a member of staff was seen streaming a a plastic roundabout oh we um, saw that that photo that was <laughs> and I, yeah i think now councils are starting to realize that there are problems with this and it's probably not a good idea to use it when it's not avoidable so yeah i think they've committed to not doing it in any permanent landscaping but i would argue that plastic grass is never permanent because it breaks down you have to re you have to redo it but it's a start you know it's um it's positive that some sort of restriction has come out of it so so what sort of successes have you had during your campaign? I know you talked about the Newcastle Council, um, but have you had any sort of successes in terms of re of like getting people to reconsider their stance on it at all? Or yeah, so I think successes for me um it's been mm. generally just getting the conversation started mm. i think um being part of a small group of people who have really latched on yeah. to the issue and yeah. tried their best yeah. to get it restricted and get education out there that's that's been a, a really good thing because i think as i as i began it wasn't really a conversation that anyone was having and no. to watch it to watch it grow over the last few no, years yeah. is, it's um it gives me some hope um mm. I, I think amongst all the uh, destruction going on yeah, um yeah. But yeah personally i've had i've had emails and messages from a number of people who have decided mm. that they they were going to lay artificial grass now they've decided not to and instead yeah. they've what they've done instead is is changed their maintenance routine at home on their lawns and now they've got lots of flowers lots of bees yeah. and they've, yeah. they've sent me photos saying thank mm. you for your sort of inspiration and look at what i've mm. look at what i've got now and so that's um yeah i, I i'm still very aware of the you know the, the millions of gardens being ripped up almost yeah. daily it feels yeah. but yeah there, there have been some people that I've changed their mind and that's something that I am I'm yeah. quite proud of so yeah that's brilliant um the one thing I wanted to mention that I um didn't um that weren't on the list of questions that I sent you um a friend of mine mentioned that one sort of possible incentive for people like to 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 do this is the high cost of um getting their garden wastes taken away like sometimes it it can cost a lot of money and that might provide an incentive for people like to sort of quote unquote save on money from garden waste and get it like converted into a plastic lawn 
Um, do you know anything about that or? Yeah, that's, that's, that's an interesting one. It's not something I'd ever really considered. Um, but it, it could be another factor. I mean, I, I've, I've, I'd looked into this. My, my local council charged forty-two pounds a year for the garden bins, and you know, I think when you when you compare that to whatever a thousand pounds to lay to lay a plastic carpet, I don't think there's much competition. But, um, but personally, I, I think it's crazy that people pay to have their garden waste taken away anyway. Because um, if you create a compost bin or a compost heap in the corner of your garden, you'll be creating free compost for your plants, and you're also providing a refuge for grass snakes and slow worms and you know it's and it feeds your garden birds of all the insects that are living in it so it's why would you want to give away you know your waste is almost a product and it's something that's useful for your garden so why would you pay to have it taken away so i think the answer really is don't pay the council 42 pounds a year to have your garden bins taken away have a compost pile and and make you make use of that of that soil so yeah yeah i mean if you yeah if you have like a sort of a I suppose like a one-time like dead tree or whatever that's like too too big or whatever to put in a to put in a compost bin. Then a lot of the time the there's like the there's also like a one-time charge of bags or whatever. But I do think it's I do think it's crazy that the councils are actually charging because I think I looked it up in my area. It's something like sixty pounds a year or something to to have that, and it's like for something you might not even use very often or if at all yeah i that's a I, I given that this wasn't something i'd ever considered that is quite a scary thought that people are actually doing this to save a little bit of money here and there on on waste disposal that's uh i hope that's not the case um but like i say there yeah have a compost pile and you don't need to and if you've chopped down a tree you don't need to have that taken away either if you if you create a log pile yeah. and you, know, you you know you could end up with common lizards i mean pe- people probably aren't aware that britain has lizards yeah. but create the right sort of habitats and you can have yeah all sorts of things slow worms yeah. and frogs and that's true so is there anything else you want to talk about um today or yeah i don't know i think i think uh i'd say i mean this is a ladybirds podcast and i i i, I don't consider myself to be someone that knows an awful lot about ladybirds and unfortunately i, I it might be a matter of i think i live in a very tidy new build town so ladybirds aren't really something i see much of so what i was going to ask you know i'm hoping i'm not catching you off the cuff is is ask are there any native ladybirds that you that i may not know of that you would you know what's your what's your favorite and where might i be able to find it is uh... so um the 16 spot definitely is one of my favorites um and also um have you ever seen the creams? I did a recent episode on the cream spot ladybird, which is a really nice little brown ladybird with white spots. Yeah, I think I've seen pictures of them. Yeah. Yeah. And the other one, which was actually really cool, although I find one actually in a graveyard and I wasn't expecting there to be one at all because the only times I've ever found one is when I've been out and I've like, um, like, you know um looked with a beating tray to see what comes mm. off like pine pine cones and, and like pine trees and stuff okay. the eyed ladybird if you can ever find one of those that's incredibly lovely it's like is that uh eyed as in as in eyes yeah it's because it's got the ring spots it's like a burgundy color with with black spots and the spots have got rings around them like yellow rings mm. okay. and that looks incredibly nice 
Yeah, I mean, if you, if you found that in a graveyard, that doesn't surprise me too much because because actually, I, I I think graveyards always used to be a place of sadness, maybe for 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 me and for many, I guess. But um, you know, I've, I've recently lost my nan, so I'm spending mm. more time at, at cemeteries than I mm. than I used to. Uh, but actually, they're they're fantastic for wildlife. If you, yeah. you know, I yeah. I go up there and sort of do my little bit of maintenance on my my mm. nan's grave, but then I spend the rest of the time wandering around just seeing what I can find because mm. I think the way the way they're maintained and um, is is fantastic for lots of yeah. things. You know, there there is that sort of rotting wood and there is the longer grasses and yeah, I found more ladybirds in cemeteries than I find anywhere else. So I I think yeah. it's a yeah, if you if you want to find more of these things, I think that's a place to go. I think also the other one I might mention is the the 10 spot, um, which which is incredibly variable. Um, like it has about five different forms. They all look they all look pretty different. But then if you kind of like look at the shape of the ladybird, like it's the same shape, but there's like but if you find basically a very unusual ladybird, it's probably a 10 spot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's um it's 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 another one of those things I need to look out mm. for more because it's I yeah. I I I realized this year dragonflies I don't really pay much attention mm. to them so it's another thing I'm trying to learn more about. So dragonflies are fast yeah. though like they unless unless they like really settled like Unless they're really settled on a plant, they go so yeah. fast. It's just another another one Same of these. Same with a lot of butterflies. Yeah, so it's another yeah. species that I just I some things mm. pass me by and some don't, and I, I I'm aware of the things that I don't uh, pay enough attention to. So ladybirds is, is definitely one of them. So yeah, I think uh, I, I've listened to your podcast and I've I've obviously I'm, I'm pleased to come on today, but it's yeah I, I'm I'm very aware I need to learn more. So it's uh, yeah I'll uh, I'll finish my sort of slight backlog of your your episodes and i'll have to go out hunting for for more of these species i've not seen before so yeah no no it's brilliant and it's brilliant that you found a 16 spot that's because they're so they're so small yeah that mm. that was purely about trying to to take note of the little mm. things you know, we could, you know half an hour of walk a day was all we yeah. were allowed during lockdown yeah, of course. And it was like what can i find in that short space of time and it, it means you yeah. you really you really pay attention so mm. yeah that's, uh, that's the only reason i found this uh, tiny little ladybird but yeah, yeah, what, a, yeah. what a stunner that is so yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know if we're, if we're wrapping up. I think um, yeah, my my petition, as I mentioned earlier on, mm. is still live. So if you if you search .gov for um, ecological yeah. damage tax, um, you should be able to find yeah. that that petition to to sign. And other than that, um, you could give me a follow on on Twitter. It's um, at Dowling Wildlife, and I'd I'd love to hear from from listeners or hear from anyone that wants yeah. to sort of support the um, awareness on on astroturf lawns. Really. Yeah, well, thanks very much for all coming on the show. And it's been great to speak to you. Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, sorry again that it took so long to tie me down, but we, we got here in the end.